This is the month. This is the month that we celebrate Thanksgiving, and we give thanks. We give thanks for our families. We give thanks for our blessings. We give thanks for our turkey. We even give thanks for the cowboys. But do we remember to give thanks for our missions and for our missionaries and for our opportunities to go out and seek the lost, for our opportunities to reach those hurting souls that are looking for something that will transform their lives? Do we use this as an opportunity to give thanks for how God is using us to reach those souls that are looking for truth? When we study the book of 1 Thessalonians and we continue looking at what Paul writes to this young church, he's writing to you and I. He, he's writing to us as the church at Binbrook because we have several things in common with the church at Thessalonica. They were a new church plant. They were young in their faith. They were new Christians. We have new Christians. We don't know how large the church at Thessalonica was, but Paul was concerned for them as the missionary that planted that church. And yet he was run out of town by the people of Thessalonica, and now he's writing to them because he's concerned for them. And yet he's thankful. And so as we continue that study of Thessalonians, we see how we ought to be thankful. I want us this morning to look at chapter 2, verse 13 following, and consider the need that existed in the church at Thessalonica. I want us to look at how Paul had love for these Christians as a missionary that planted them. I want us to do so by looking at the principle of missions that we learn from this chapter. And then I want us to think about the case for short-term missions and as we look to the future, what we can do from a missions standpoint. Let's notice some things. As we notice the need that the church in Thessalonica had, chapter 2 and verse 13. Paul says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it is. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For just as you also endured the same sufferings at the hand of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing God, but hostile to all men us from speaking to the Gentiles <clears throat> so that we might so that they might be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them to the utmost but we brethren having been taken away from you for a short while in person not in spirit were all the more eager with great desire to see your face for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. And yet Satan has hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? 
for you are our glory and joy. Paul looks at these Christians and he says, guys, I could have no greater joy. I could have no greater exuberance. exuberance. I could have no greater uh, happiness than being able to stand before God on the day of judgment and see you there with me. Ready to return home with Jesus. That's what Paul says gave him joy. Was knowing that here were these group, this group of Christians whom he had studied with, whom he had led to Christ, and now he's torn away from them, and the thought that they still remain in Christ so that on the day of judgment, he's able to be there with them as the Lord takes them home. And Paul says, that's what I am thankful for. I give thanks to God because I am able to know that you are standing firm in the faith. And he he says, "I, I know you're standing firm in the faith, even though you're facing persecutions. And just as we saw briefly last week, he says, you are facing the same sort of persecutions that the Christians in Jerusalem, when the church began there, faced at the hands of the Jewish leadership. And remember when you go back to Acts chapter 17 and you see how Paul worked in Thessalonica, how he was driven there from persecutions elsewhere, and now he comes to Thessalonica, and the Jewish leadership in three weeks' time is jealous because so many people are coming to believe in Christ and becoming Christians, that they run Paul out of town. They beat Jason in front of the city officials. And Paul says, you're facing the same sort of persecutions at the hands of the Jewish leadership in the synagogue at Thessalonica as the Jewish Christians did in Jerusalem. And he says, yet you are remaining faithful. And when you work with a church, sometimes there are pressures on that church. Sometimes those new Christians face persecutions at the hand of Uh, of Satan, sometimes they face trials in life and you're afraid that that person, that new Christian is going to be pulled away from the gospel, pulled away from Christ. And Paul was concerned that that was what was going to happen to these Christians in Thessalonica. And yet they're standing firm in the faith. And Paul says, I can thank God because I look forward to that day of judgment knowing that you're going to be there, standing beside me on that day of judgment. He says, it gives me great joy. Paul wanted to go back to the church at Thessalonica and continue to work with him, or continue to work with him as the missionary who planted that church. They were his babies. Remember last week we saw in chapter 2, he uses the language of of a nursing mother caring for her children. And then he used the language of a father caring for his children as they are raised up, watching them mature. And so he uses this parental language to describe his love and affection and his relationship with these young Christians. And yet he was torn apart, forced out of town by those who were jealous of his work. 
And Paul says, I want to come back to you and see your face and work with you and watch you grow. But he says, Satan has hindered me. I've not been able to do that. Some scholars argue that maybe as Paul, as Jason rather, was brought before the the city officials in Acts chapter 17 and, and they were told to leave the city that maybe under Roman law it's possible that the Christians there were told you have to get rid of this guy and he has to pay a large fine before he's able to return. That's speculation based on what we know of Roman law. But it's possible that that's what Paul means, is he's not able legally to come back to the city. We can't know that for sure. But what we can know is Paul says, I've wanted to come back to you to work with you some more, to help you grow. But I'm not able to do that. And so there's a problem. And that problem is that as Paul is working in Athens... He's concerned for this church. What's going to happen to them? These are brand new Christians. Who are the leaders in that church? It's a brand new church. Who's leading that church? Who's teaching in that church? Who's preaching in that church? Jay, who's leading the songs in that church? How are they operating as a church? How are they growing in their faith? How are they remaining strong? How are they maturing? How are they knowing how to resist the temptations of society around them? All of these are questions that must have been weighing on Paul's mind. And he's concerned for their spiritual well-being. These are his babies in Christ. And so Paul brings all of this to mind. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says there in chapter 3 and verse 1, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer. Remember, he's wanting to go back, but he can't. He says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come back to us, and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live, if you stand firm in the Lord. And so Paul says, guys, I want you to know that we've been worried about you. We've been concerned for you. We're thinking about how you're doing. We're curious to know if Satan has sucked you back into the world through his temptation. Uh, We're wondering how you're doing in the face of affliction. And we ourselves are being afflicted. 
And Paul says, we know that you're being afflicted. We told you that you would face persecutions. We told you that we would face persecutions. And those things turned out to be the case. And we're worried. As the missionaries that planted the church there, as the apostle that labored there, that after all the time that we spent there and the amount of time that we spent working and studying with you, that maybe that labor would have been in vain, that maybe because of the temptations of life, the temptations of persecutions, you might have gone back. And, and so we, we couldn't go back, but we sent Timothy. And Timothy went there for two purposes, to encourage you in your faith, but also to find out how you're doing so he could come back and tell us how you are doing. And we have great joy because what he's told us is that you're growing in your faith. You're continuing to serve God. Others are hearing the gospel because you are working and standing up. And did you notice at the end of that section, he says, and now we really live. If you stand, if you stand strong, if you stand up in the faith, Paul says, this is what charges me up. This is what gives me my juice. This is what gives me my motivation to go forward. It's that seeing you as a new Christian, seeing you new in faith, are standing strong and serving God. And he says, that's what keeps me going. To hear that even though you are in the most dire situation, the great afflictions and persecutions that you're facing, and yet you continue to remain in the faith. How was Paul going to know how these Christians were doing? It was by sending Timothy and finding out that these Christians were standing strong. This was an encouragement to send Timothy to Thessalonica both to encourage the new young church in Thessalonica, but also to encourage Paul as a missionary to see that these Christians were remaining faithful and serving God. Probably it was an encouragement to this young church just to see Timothy and to see that Paul was concerned about these Christians. Let's finish the chapter. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy? We rejoice before our God on your account. As night and day we keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. May the priest and abound for one another and for all people just as we also do for you so that we, he may establish your hearts without blame in for our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul says we keep praying for you that you're going to continue to develop a love for one another and for others that you're going to grow in your faith so that the end result will be that that hope I'm looking for, that on the day of judgment I can see you standing there waiting for God alongside of me. Paul says, that's what I pray for you. I pray that you'll continue to stand in your faith, that you'll continue to mature, that you'll continue to have that love, 
so that when that day comes, we can be there together. Think about the principles of mission that we learn from this passage. As Paul works with this church, one of the principles that we learn is that we ought to have a holistic view of missions. Often we think of missions just in terms of baptisms. You send somebody off to a foreign place, to a strange place, and that person goes out, and they're able to bring a lot of people into the church by baptizing them and making Christians. And, and that's true, and that's great. We need to have those types of works. But what we also see with Paul is that he wasn't content with that. He wanted to see these Christians grow and mature. And so as our young people learned in their class today, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, that Jesus told those disciples, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have taught you. There is a place in missions for seeing established churches grow and mature and for those Christians to grow up in their faith. And Paul is sending Timothy back to Thessalonica not because his task was to go and baptize folks. His task in that instance was to go and to encourage a new, young, planted church, to encourage them in their faith, to encourage them in their love, and at the same time to encourage Paul when he comes back and he's able to give him a word of how those Christians are doing. Missions isn't about going and doing something to somebody else. It's about building a relationship between people that don't know God and God by bringing them into Christ. But also between the missionary and the person doing the work and those folks. Not numbers. Loved ones. Family. Sons and daughters. Seeing them as their own family and having that concern it reminds us as we look at this chapter about our work as a church plant as a newly planted church here in Binbrook that our task is multiple or multi, multiple many folded and that we seek to establish contacts for bible study and to bring folks into Christ by teaching them and baptizing them, but we also have a task of helping those new Christians develop in their faith and mature and to grow. But then we also have the task of seeing that church, seeing this congregation develop leaders who will develop and guide this church. And we also have a task of someday as a church being able to send out missionaries into other places to go and preach the gospel and equipping Christians for specific tasks. We need to have that goal and that idea and that vision of being able to do that as a church. We need to be able to see our task not simply as baptizing folks but helping People grow in their faith and love for God. And using their abilities, their talents to serve God. I'm so happy that Ed and Teresa have a desire to put on a financial piece 
with Dave Ramsey next year at the beginning of the year. I'm excited to see Ed and Teresa reach out and, and to do that into a new adventure, a new endeavor for them. And so we're excited to see that, and, and I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged to see so many in this church that are working and serving, and we need to encourage each other as we do those different types of things. So let's think about the case for short-term missions. As we look at the example of Timothy, going for a short time, I don't know how long Timothy had gone back to Thessalonica, but evidently it was for a, a short period of time, but he went there for a purpose and for a task. And there is a place for those types of missions in the church today, to go and encourage a church that has been planted, but also to come back and to have that zeal. If you've never had an opportunity to go on a short-term mission, it really fires you up because you go someplace and you see a work that's being done. And many times you go outside the United States. And if you've never been outside the United States before, we are so blessed and enriched in our country to go someplace that doesn't have those blessings and to see the gospel thriving and for new Christians coming into the kingdom and then to come back here and have that zeal, that desire to do the same is a tremendous blessing. And to see how much we have in this country and how much we could do with the blessings that God has given us. We do those things because we want to encourage those new Christians and sometimes to encourage the missionary that's working someplace else, away from his family, away from his parents, and away from her family, and away from her parents. And to know that there's a church back home that cares for them and loves them and wants to support them. You're not just a number on a page. You're not just a line item in a budget somewhere. But you are someone that they know and love. And that's what a short-term mission trip can sometimes mean to a missionary. And so it builds the encouragement for the church that's planted. It builds the encouragement for the missionary that's working. There are lots of different things that we could do as a church in terms of short-term missions. Between now and the time that we're able to support someone in a long-term mission strategy, we could do medical missions. We have a doctor in our congregation. We have a couple nurses in our congregation. We can do things like let's start talking when you go and you teach English to folks that don't know English and you use a Bible uh, format to do that, those are things that we can do that are short-term missions that help us build an excitement both for our work but also for our work that's being done elsewhere. Let's think about our church as a church plant. There are things that we can do to build our church that requires us working together. We need to think about contacts that each of us know that we can study the scriptures with, and we need to find a time to study with those individuals. And there may be those that are here today that, that aren't Christians, that are curious about studying the Word of God, and we would love to have you tell us. We want to study the Word with you. We want to study the Bible and give us that opportunity. But as we study and as we lead people to Christ and as they're baptized, we need to not give up on them. We need to help those 
families, those individuals grow in their knowledge of Scripture and in their faith and in their practice of Christianity. And we also need to think diligently about the men of this congregation in helping them develop as Christian leaders, as spiritual leaders, so that they can lead this flock, so that they can serve in different ways. We need to think strategically about how this planted church is going to grow and what we can do to not only reach the lost, but to help new Christians grow and to develop leaders. And as we do that, we'll be able to have joy and rejoicing and be able to have thankfulness as we think about the day of the Lord, standing together, side by side, hearing Jesus say, come home. If you're here this morning and you want to hear that call yourself, if you want to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism and live with Jesus in his heavenly home, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.